Please be seated. We're continuing our series in the Ten Commandments. We're up to the Seventh Commandment. The consequences for violating the Seventh Commandment are devastating to the church, to families, to marriages, to relationships, present and future, right down to the human soul. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. The the primary purpose of this commandment is to protect the sacred institution of marriage ordained by God. To break it is a violation of the covenant made between husband and wife, one man, one woman, united as one, forever sealed by the Holy Spirit. This commandment tells us at least three things about the character and nature of God. First, it tells us that God is faithful. God is the promise maker and the promise keeper. God invites us, then, into an exclusive relationship when he says, you shall have no other gods before me. And God calls us to be faithful because he holds faithfulness in such high regard. God is faithful. Second, it tells us marriage is is really, really special to God. If God says that that's the right and safest context for S-E-X to be enjoyed. And as a word of of, of warning, this is going to be a a PG-13 kind of a message, I guess. Uh, I'll not just spell that out, but we'll talk about the implications. So when you say, no, I'm going to stay, uh, I'm not going to stay inside God's boundaries. I'm going to live with my boyfriend, or I'm going to explore my options, or I'm going to explore my newfound freedom after a relationship. You're actually saying, I know more about me and about relationships and about the nature of sex than God does, the one who created it. And that leads to our third insight, and that is this. This precept tells us that sexuality is a gift from God. God is not against sex. He thought it up. The seventh commandment states that one of the best decisions a person can make, and it's connected to a whole series of of daily decisions, both big and small, in order to live with fewer regrets and to flourish, is to honor fidelity in marriage, if you're married, be faithful, or chastity in singleness, if you are not married, abstained. The the temptation, the, the allure of sexual immorality is so powerful. It's whispering or sometimes shouting at us, you deserve what you want to feel good. My pleasure, my way, my needs, my will. And all too often, we make poor decisions instead of good ones. We convince ourselves it's harmless. What God is saying is actually dangerous. God gave sex as a beautiful, passionate, intimate part of the marriage relationship. The Bible says, Hebrews 13, 4, let marriage be held in honor by all. 
It's so beautiful and pleasurable for the very fact that it is not merely physical. It is a spiritual union. We're made in, in such a way that our sexuality is protected and nurtured in the exclusivity of a one-man, one-woman covenant of marriage. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's what uh, the church has taught us all these millennia. That's why uh, Christian husbands and Christian wives are to nurture their love for one another emotionally and spiritually as well as sexually. And God provides means of beauty and pleasure and connection for his people who are not married as well. Through our union with Christ, through being one with Christ, with our union as, as the body of Christ. All this language is about connectivity. It's about uh, enjoyment of one another. It's about pleasure. God wired us in such a way to seek out these pleasures, and he says, seek them out within the boundaries that I've set for you. Nobody who, who thinks that the Bible is anti-sex has ever really read it. Uh, just turn uh, to the Song of Solomon, uh, and you'll see the, the beautiful, passionate, blushing, uh, tender joy of making love with one's spouse. It's all there in God's Word. But adultery wrecks this perfect gift from God. Proverbs 6, 32 and 33 says this, He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who destroys... Who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Well, God's grace is able, more than able, to wipe away any disgrace. But but I have to admit, sexual purity looks like a losing battle. Especially when so many dear friends and people I respect and love, people I've looked up to, have crossed and broken this commandment in such devastating ways that have impacted all the things I said at the beginning. Relationships, past and future, their own heart, their marriage, their church. Again and again, it does seem like a losing battle. The, the powerful current of our, of our oversexed society makes God's good gift into a cheap commodity. It makes it uh, so it's, it's self-centered It makes it the end-all, be-all of of happiness. It's such a force, it seems nearly impossible for anyone to keep their spiritual balance. We are oversaturated with sexual messaging. Nearly every form of entertainment is filled with overtly sexualized innuendo in in one way or another. I had all these examples, and I crossed them all out because I thought, I don't need any examples. You can think of them yourselves. We, we have so much of it that what we end up doing is defaulting to the lowest common denominator. We say, well, it's, it's in the air, it's everywhere, so let's just lower that bar as far as we can to the point where it says, so long as I don't cheat and nobody gets hurt, it's okay. Because we can't hide from the rampant abuse of of pornography, be it on the internet or guilty pleasure reading or in our theaters. There's a movie out right now about an overweight magician. Uh, What we do is we... That was a joke. Gosh. 
I won't, I won't try. See, I try stuff out here. Magic. Uh, okay. What we do is we compartmentalize. We try to contain it. We say, well, that's, that happened, but it's not happening now, Sunday morning. We say it's just physical. It's not who I am as a person. Paul Tripp helps me in this. He says this. Sexuality is never secular. Sex is always spiritual. Sex is always worship. By that he means that something is always Lord over our heart. Something is always controlling my heart, my thoughts, my emotions, my will, my choices. If I am worshiping myself, I'll use you for my pleasure and I'll hurt you. And if I'm worshiping sex, I'll deny boundaries and go wherever sexual pleasure leads me. And if I'm worshiping the other person, I'll try to find satisfaction in that person, but I'll never be able to find it because no person could ever fulfill all of one person, one's needs and one's imaginations, and I will end up, wind up hurting them and hurting myself. And if I worship God, then I'm going to love the boundaries he has set for me. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And sex will be the way it is supposed to be. Jesus helps us decompartmentalize this, this, this disconnect. He, he, he helps us decompartmentalize the meaning of the seventh commandment in his words in Matthew chapter 5 in the great sermon on the mount Matthew 5:27-28 You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery and everyone knew the rabbis said that was true temple prostitute other things that might happen this woman is your property as long as you don't break these formal contracts you're in the clear. Jesus knew that was the context that he was speaking into. You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his head or in his heart. Jesus drives home the original intent by equating the action of adultery with the intention of lust. What he's saying is, if you keep on looking at a woman or a man with the intent of lust after that person who is not your spouse, you have already committed adultery in your heart. This goes way beyond appreciating beauty or, or, or a passing imagination to the desire to possess, to take for one's own immediate gratification, one's own worship. This can start with a glance or a flirt, or a text message to all different manner of inappropriate intention and intimacy. And listen to what Jesus says about what to do with lust, how serious he takes it. Verse 29, If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus is saying honoring one another is deadly serious. Sex is spiritual. Lust 
does not characterize a follower of Christ. So yes, we live in a hypersexualized culture, but, but none of these realities excuse us from battling the sin of lust. Jesus is protecting the dignity of the person that we are lusting after, dehumanizing them with a look or a click of the button or a turn of the page. And listen, Jesus is also protecting the soul of the one who is doing the looking. He teaches that lustful looks trigger the imagination and all hell breaks loose. When you have these temptations, if you are spiritually alert, not dull to the warning signs, you will realize that they come from a a deeper place, a, a, a deep place of longing. Deeper, holy, good longings built into you by your Creator. The desire to experience intimacy. The desire to experience beauty and passion and pleasure and understanding and connection and wholeness. These are holy longings that become misdirected. So when I allow my mind to linger to the point of lust, it's a signal that I haven't been listening to God or receiving his fulfillment of these deeper longings. I've been too busy or too stressed to enjoy kingdom living and true intimacy that God put into my life. That's why Jesus is so cut and dry. And that's why the Bible clearly states to flee all manner of sexual immorality. But you know what? These, these boundaries of, uh, for our sexual lives, they make absolutely no sense if they're not rooted in revelation. They're just abstract rules. Uh, we might regret our behavior if we break them. We might be embarrassed if we're found out. But come on, really? It's 2015. But if it's the God of the universe who has created us, who is faithful to us, who tells me sex is potentially addictive, and it is, if physical pleasure is all that matters when the temptation is right in front of me, if that distraction has a spiritual component to it that causes me to forget my oneness I have with Christ, which it does, then I best run from the danger God created sex to be beautiful, passionate, and intimately experienced between two people in the context of marriage. So to flee sexual immorality means I don't expose myself to things that, that I shouldn't see or think about. Not because I'm a real follower. Not because I'm a, a goody two-shoes. But because I am thankful for God's grace and for God's faithfulness. And God's, God's clarity of pointing out what's really real in this life. The Bible says when you give your life to Jesus, his spirit enters into your physical body, and your physical body becomes a temple of the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit moves in and somehow, went to seminary for a long time, still don't know how to say it, somehow our physical body becomes 
the temple that receives the presence of the Spirit of God. The question we have to ask as Christians in decisions we make big and small every day, and especially when facing the temptation of sexual immorality, of lust and adultery, is this. Which option before me right now is most honoring to God? Now, frankly, I probably would never even turn on the TV again if I asked that constantly. But that's the question. Asking that question will lead you beyond just right and wrong. It will direct you to consider options most people would never consider. But listen, I know nobody who has asked this question and answered by saying, I know I've been created to reflect the glory of God and I want to live to honor Him and honor the relationships that I have and honor those people who have their relationship and my own relationships. I don't know anyone who's arrived at that answer and lived to regret it. I am honoring God in my life, in my thought life, in my choices, in the things I look at online, in the relationships I invest in. Can you say that this morning? This question, which option is most honoring, most glorifying to God, it's a question of worship. It's not surface morality going there, going there. It's, it's a matter of, of worship. And it will draw you into the life that you and I were designed to live. For those among us who are, are single, a word of encouragement from Scripture, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25 and 26, says this, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that you should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So God has called you to be single, maybe for a season, maybe for your life. But in this season, or in this life, trust in God. And wait on Him. And for His good, He has in store for you. If you struggle with these forms of temptation, Jesus is saying, to take radical action. He's talking about heart surgery. So in our context, you can make a decision right now in church, in the safe place, before you go out into the tide, to unplug, to say, I'm going to buy a filter for my computer, to say, I, I'm, I'm going to not finish reading that book or going to that movie. But all those things, again, are big and small choices. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So you don't need to be embarrassed to deal with sin. You need to be humbled. To make better decisions and to live with fewer regrets going forward, look to the Lord, and he will lift you up. When the gospel grabs hold of you, something happens. Grace happens. Forgiveness comes. Power is ignited. Healing results, a fresh start begins, a new life path is enjoyed. So I say to my friends among us who have fallen into this temptation of sin, take heart, Jesus came into the world to provide grace and redemption through his cross and to establish holiness and right relationship with God and with your neighbor. 
on the foundation of experiencing his grace. So come to him for grace. Come to him for answers. Come to him for worship. And prepare your hearts to come to his table to receive a foretaste of his kingdom to come. Let's pray. Lord God, this is a mystery of our union with you. And Lord Jesus, I have, I have sought to honor you, and I have failed, and I have had great blessings of accountability in my life, and a great um, and absolutely gift from heaven in Cheryl. But Lord, in all my, my adult life here, I'm thinking back at age 44, how many times I've been said, well, you don't understand. Well, you're, you're only a high school student. You don't really know what it's like. Well, you're a college student. You don't know what it's like. Well, now you're, you're married at age 23. You don't realize what it's like to be... Tw- oh, well, now you're married to a beautiful wife. You don't know what it's like. Well, you're a father. You're a pastor. How could you know? Lord, these are all forms of distraction and, and deflection. And, and I've wrestled with them, Lord. I just pray... Holy Spirit, that you would speak a word of truth into our lives. People here that are are young people, people here that that are in their 80s, Lord. There are people here that are are married. There are people here that are divorced. There are people here that are are broken in their relationships, Lord. There are people here among us, Lord, that have have struggled with lustful thoughts and, and actions even today or this weekend. So God, we humbly come, all of us, I guess I get to be the spokesman for all of us, Lord. We come as, as broken people seeking your healing and your wholeness, Lord Jesus. We surrender to you. We want to make this song a prayer before you that we surrender all as a prayer for your faithfulness and your forgiveness and your grace. Amen.